right. I'm currently on the phone with Scott. He's another musician that reached out about the current interview session. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the chance to introduce himself. Okay. Uh, my name is Scott Bartell, B-A-R-T-E-L-L. And um, I've been playing music for a long time and in many different ways. And uh, it, it's always been really important to me in my life. However, I grew up in a fairly musical family, um, not just my parents, but uh, other you know, uh, aunts, uncles, so forth and so on. A lot of them were uh, Methodist church musicians. My great-grandfather, though he was born in Minneapolis, he toured the South playing piano and organ for um, tent uh, gatherings for Southern Baptist um, congregations that would meet out in tents, you know, during the, the summer where it would be a maybe a little breezier and cooler. And he could play rolling bass Baptist hymns. And here he was a Methodist musician, which has a great music tradition too. Both my parents sang in the Methodist church choirs wherever we were in Minneapolis at the time. And um, so I got into music as early as I could with the bugle at age eight. I found an old bugle at one of my family's lake places and my uncle could play it. So he taught me all of the military calls. And then in fourth grade, my parents got me a trumpet and started me with private lessons. And immediately I was the first chair in band at my grade school. And then when I got onto junior high school, uh, they said, mm, your embouchure isn't just right for trumpet. Would you care to try something else, like with a bigger mouthpiece? So I said, yeah, I want to play the baritone horn because it looked neat and it sounded neat. So I went all the way through high school, uh, first chair, uh, treble clef baritone horn, which has an interesting tradition tradition that's almost gone in America now. Uh, so I thought, well, yeah, I'm probably going to be a professional musician. I looked at the University of Minnesota, and to to be in their their major, it was like slavery. And I said, well, uh, there's other things I want to do too. Damn, I am too complicated for this. So I didn't do that. I minored in music, uh, voice and classical guitar. By that time, I had picked up guitar and string bass and was getting paid as a folk musician. I had a little trio in high school and we, we played the Minneapolis Aquitaneal and big parties and stuff like that, which meant we also got free drinks, <laughs> that kind of thing. Hmm. This was a long time ago. I'm 75. So a lot of what I've done has sort of passed out of notice, but I, you know, I was, I was into classical music and I won competitions on the baritone horn, but I also loved folk music and was picking up whatever I could of it. And um, this led me to the bagpipes which at this point are my principal instrument. Um, I still can play the other things, um, including Irish and Scottish folk instruments like the tin whistle and the boron frame drum and sing. I, I, for several years here in Minneapolis, was in a trio called the uh, North Star Gaelic Singers, and we sang in the native language of the West Highlands and Islands of Scotland, which only 1% of the people in that country can speak anymore. Um, and I had been, up until COVID, gigging quite regularly on the bagpipes um, during COVID. I think uh, take a, a quick step back. I want to talk about the intermediate time between um, 
you being in in the three piece uh, band and then eventually ending up on the bagpipes because I feel like there was a lot of time that was left out there. Um, so tell me about you know that kind of interim time of being a part of the Minneapolis music scene at that you know generation and then uh, what eventually led you to the bagpipe? Well, I, I as a child. When I'm five years old, which would have been like 1956, I guess, for 55, uh, a shopping center was opening. My mother said, let's go. It'll be fun. And the McAllister College Pipe Band was playing. And I looked up at them and I thought, these are archangels. This is like the biggest thing ever. But there was no way for me to learn it in Richfield. Uh, we just didn't have any connections to that kind of thing. And we didn't have much money either. But eventually, when I was like 25, I was at the Renaissance Fair performing as a, um, a monk reading erotic poetry with my English professor at the time. I was in college and ran into a couple of pipers and a drummer who were forming a band. And they said, if you want to be if you want to uh, be in it, we can loan you a set of bagpipes and teach you. And I said, well, what will that cost? They said nothing free. And so I said, yeah, and jumped at it. and. Within a year, I was performing in the Highland uh, uh, Country Fair at McAllister in two different bands and one Highland dance group that I had been learning the Highland fling and country dancing in. And uh, at that point, I went off to Scotland and studied with some people there for a while uh, and then came back and kept going. I was in the McAllister band and several others. Okay, so it's been the bagpipes for quite some time. The way I yeah, interpreted 19- that was that, you know, you played a slew of other instruments for a while and then eventually mm-hmm. kind of landed up on bagpipes. But from what you're saying, it sounds like uh, bagpipes have been like a large part of your whole musical journey. Uh, yeah, and, and because I'm weird, um, the thing I like best is the classical music of the bagpipes, which hardly anyone plays and hardly anyone gets to hear. Um, but you know, like people will, if people want to hear any of my playing, for instance, uh, what you can do is go to gig salad talent agency where I'm a, uh, noted player and I've got, um, MP3s of some of my music up there and lots of reviews. And, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been weird. I mean, like I, I had cards printed up and then every time I moved, I had to change the phone number and all that kind of thing. And I don't think I ever got a gig through one of those cards, even though I posted them places <laughs> and handed them out. What finally happened was when the Internet began doing stuff and there was, oh, well, there was a talent agency here in St. Paul um, that has been going for 30 some years. And I've been with them all that time and some others. So chiefly, that's how people find me, except some by word of mouth. And um, what they want me to do, though, are, you know, mainly play Amazing Grace at a funeral or at a wedding, play something that doesn't work on the bagpipes. You can't do it like the uh, main theme to Braveheart. Um, Bagpipe only has nine notes, no accidentals, sharps or flats. Um, But there are 500 variations that you have to learn ornaments that are very specific to the bagpipe so it's a very intense study and there there are probably a lot of pipers in the world now maybe more than ever but most of them only want to play the what we call 
Quebec, light music, little music, marches, jigs, um, happy birthday, you know. Now, I, I can do that, and that's fine. But the older stuff called Kilmore, big music, is stuff that's been kept uh, by vocal learning. Uh, wasn't written down on staff notation for like the first 200 years of its existence in Scotland alone. And then finally in the late 1700s, some people started writing some down and there are probably three or 400 different pibirochs. It just means pipe music in Gaelic. And I, I work on them. I'm learning. I've learned, played in competitions. I haven't won anything with them. Uh, because sometimes the judges don't know that material very well. They they really aren't that interested in it. And other people, if you play some of it for them, will say, are you done tuning yet? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have a tempo, and it doesn't have, for most people, a recognizable melody. And it mainly is like uh, Indian raga in terms of the hypnotic quality and the buildup and buildup of stuff that's like a waterfall of notes. Um, but I belong to the Minnesota Pibroch Society, which has like 70 members. And we meet every two or three months and maybe six or eight people show up and maybe three of them play something. And um, so that's what I'm kind of focusing on while I'm waiting for people to start having, you know, more gigs where they'd like to have me play and pay me. Uh, the Pibroch doesn't pay. <laughs> that that uh, group that you're with, do you guys uh, do parades and stuff, or how do you guys oh, get no. out and play? Or is it no, just getting together you, you, and kind of exploring the town? Yeah, uh, well, you can't march to a pibroch, even though half of the tunes are called marches, but they're not marches. Um, and most people think they're laments, but only you know a third of the repertoire is actually laments. Most of them are salutes to clan chiefs or people who have you know done something heroic or or people who just died in a shipwreck or something like that um and many times that wasn't actually the name of a, the piece when it was written they may have three or four different names as people decided they wanted to take it and use it for something so it's kind of like if you you know were playing bach but you started calling parts of it you know um rock around the clock or something and People were like, I, huh, I don't know. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, when we get together, a lot of it is just eating and drinking and talking and catching up. Sure. But um, Just like any band. Uh, well, yeah, we're not a band. I mean, uh, I a couple of the people in it are in bands, and a couple of the people in it are top-notch competitors. One 20-year-old woman. Uh, who's a student at McAllister has just swept the field internationally. In, including Pibroch, the, the big music, uh, just phenomenal. And she has this really supportive mother who is not pushing her, but who makes it all possible, has gotten her in touch with people all over the world and travels with her to do this stuff. Um, up to me at 75 um, and a couple of my compatriots, we, uh, the three of us used to play, I used to organize this group for the Minnesota Marathon, which is coming up. And that was kind of fun. But way back in the day, it didn't pay very much, but it paid something. And then they decided what they'd rather do is have a truck with huge loudspeakers on it playing rock and roll at the point where we were hired to play the bagpipes. 
and pipes are pretty powerful, but not power more powerful than a you know tower of power type amplifier and loudspeaker. So I said, "Oh fuck it, <laughs> that's that. I'm done with this." All right. Well, you kind of have expertly kind of hit right on each of the different beats that I was going to ask about. Uh, you went oh. through kind of your uh, childhood learning an instrument and then picking that up through your young adult to your adult mm-hmm. years. And then also mentioning the society that you're in, the the group that you play with. Um, mm-hmm. And then also your kind of uh, current involvement where you're looking for kind of some freelance stuff. Um, that's awesome. I'm, I'm very happy you shared all that. Um, Great. Of all of that time, what are a couple uh, memories that stand out to you that, you know, have really kind of motivated you to just keep doing it all the way up until, you know, where you're at now? Well, um, one of them, I had moved to California with my fiance at the time from Minneapolis, and I had lived in California before and really liked it. Um, and I wasn't playing the pipes much at that point. I was not in any band out there or anything. I was with a group called the Institute for Celtic Studies. And so it was more about language and other customs. I did play the pipes with them sometimes. Um, But one summer would have been what the summer of 81, I think, or 80. Yeah, 81, 1981. uh, They were having a summer college of piping and the, College of Piping in Glasgow, Scotland, which was like the the real progenitor of piping at that time. It it had pupils from all over the world and kind of, you know, let everybody know how it was supposed to work. And they they had people, you know, teachers from Scotland who were going to do this thing. And I I said, well, you know, I should get started again and got my pipes out and went down there and they were doing it all full day and you had to pay a lot of money for it. And I was working full time, too. And I said, I work mostly evenings. Can I do like just the morning segment for the two weeks and pay half? And they were like, well, yeah, okay." And they would figure in a group of 50 students where you sat in terms of perceived skill and when i got in i think i was like second from the bottom (laughs) and i thought "Uh uh-oh that's not so good by the end of the two weeks i was like fourth from the top um so i can i I pick up real quickly some things but when i'm not doing them it fades pretty fast so um getting up to that level and having one of the most famous teachers and competitors in the in the world come to dinner at my house and tell me that his first perception of me was completely wrong and that I was as good a piper as anyone is likely to ever be and that I would be welcome in any pipe band in the world, including the top world competitor bands. And that, that felt pretty good, you know. That was one. That was a long time ago. Um, and every band I've been in, oh, that's great. I, I, they, I've been given the task of tuning all the other pipers because I do have, I have perfect relative pitch. I don't have perfect absolute pitch, which is good because pipe majors and pipe bands don't all tune to the same uh, A440 basic tuning. They tune where the pipe major thinks it sounds good. And so now that's changed since the day of a lot of the strobo tuners and things that are available. So some of that has, has changed and would be different now. And I don't know if, you know, anybody gets the job of going around and just working and working to get everything into a unified tone 
you know, with that band. Um, they want it, but people are expected to be doing it themselves. Where the old pipe majors said, don't you touch that. I'll do it or we'll send Scott around to do it because you don't know how. And they go, okay, okay, okay. So a lot of pipers don't like to gig, or if they do, they may not sound very good because they don't tune or they don't know how. I think that's kind of funny. Um, the second great triumph I can think of, and this is bridging over into another area, uh, 45 years, I was a professional sex therapist. Um, went through graduate school and social work and trained in to do stuff here with the program in human sexuality at the university. But I, you know, kept playing all of that time too. And every year in the pride parade, I would march with the bisexual contingent for the most part. And I'm remembering 1995, maybe it was a nice day. I was there. And let me tell you, the pipes and the kilt can be not only a chick magnet, but all kinds of a magnet sure even sure. better than guitar i'll tell you um but we're, we're marching down hennepin avenue main downtown avenue in the parade and there are always a few nut bars here and there that are screaming that we're fornicators who are going to go to hell and you know we should join their church but they wouldn't let us etc cetera, etc cetera. but luckily very few crowds mostly very friendly a million people have come to the pride festival some years. And so I'm there with this group leading it and we're halfway down the Avenue. And there's this one guy screaming at us with signs that are obscene in themselves, in my judgment, just hate filled. And I stopped the group and I turned on marched over to like five feet away from him on the curb and pumped up the pipes and played amazing grace three times through five feet away from him, staring him in the eyes. And the whole crowd just let loose. And he was just baffled. He didn't know what to do or say. And I marched back to the group and we continued the parade. <laughs> that was a highlight for me. Sure. Good on you for standing up. Um, yes. All right. So you mentioned that you are open to some freelance work. Uh, where can people find you and check you out? Well, yeah, I can easily be reached. I don't, I don't have, I'm not in LinkedIn. People keep insisting that I am. Well, I was years ago, but I don't do that anymore. It's not useful for musicians, I don't think. I, uh, I have a Facebook page people can find. They can private message me there. My phone number, 612-669-3264. Uh, if they want to go through Gig Salad Talent Agency online, they can do that. That agency gets a 10% cut, but that's all right with me. And um, what's what's weird is people will often call me or go through them and say, okay, what I want you to do is go up to Duluth in July and ride up on the ski lift on the ski mountain, standing up, playing some love song so that at the top I can propose to my girlfriend. And I said, <laughs> my, hang on a minute. I'm not going to stand up in a ski lift playing the bagpipes. No, why not? Because I'd likely die. I'd likely fall off and be killed. And it's in July. They don't run the ski lifts in July. Well, I've got a friend there. Uh-huh, okay. He said, well, you know, it's going to be a good time. There'll be plenty of beer. And I'm, I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. You didn't ask what I charge. You, you charge? I mean, this is just for fun, isn't it? Well, no, not with, you know, 40 years of experience and suffering and uh, all of that. No, I, I charge and I charge travel fees too. 
so I, I want people to be aware of this. I, I mean, I occasionally for some special cause done it for free, you know, uh, pro bono, but, but yeah, mostly, I mean, it's, it's probably equal to what union musicians are supposed to make. Um, but I, you know, I have to shell something out for the, for the agency as well. And uh, I've, I've taught a lot of people, but hardly anybody seems to want to learn to play the pipes. When they come in, they say, well, okay, show me how to play them. And I'm like, well, just a minute. You bought an instrument by mail that doesn't really even work. It was made in Pakistan out of the cheapest wood possible with reeds that don't function. And first, I'm going to have to do a bunch of repair work for you. No, just show me how to play it. That's like saying, okay, I've got a 29 Ford that doesn't run and doesn't have an engine or tires. Show me how to drive it, you know? Um, yeah, that, does, so, that doesn't quite work. Yeah, there's just, there, there's so little, people are really often um, thrilled by bagpipes, but they don't know what they're doing or what they're supposed to do. And um, uh, what was another good example of this? Um, oh, well, I had a student for several years and she had real trouble because she had some physical uh, difficulty with the, her finger joints. And my fiance at that time was a, uh, an occupational therapist who kind of specialized in that stuff. And she said, well, let me let me help you here. Try holding it this way, holding it that way. And, so forth. and this is just a practice instrument. You start on a little thing that's kind of like a recorder or, you know, a, a tin whistle, but it does have a reed in it. And they make it extra hard. So it builds up your embouchure. But she couldn't. A lot of the time she just had trouble. And finally, I said, well, OK, we've been at this a long time. Are you thinking about getting pipes and moving over onto them? instead of just the practice chanter. She said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. No. And I said, well, why are you doing this? She said, well, because my grandmother played the pipes and I thought I wanted to, and maybe I only want to play the practice chanter. I was like, okay, but then there's a bunch more stuff that you need to learn. She said, well, I don't want to learn any of that. Teach me this instead. And I'm like, I can't teach you that without teaching you these things first. And uh, can you, you know, what we used to do is have students sing or hum the tune so that we knew that they felt it and had it and then go into the technicalities of playing it. She said, well, I can't do that. And I said, why not? She said, I can't remember tunes at all. And I, I said, well, gee, I really don't know how to go on with this, but I thank you for sticking with this so long and trying. That's amazing. Uh, and another guy who he was so fat that his fingers couldn't fit into the um notation of the of the the instrument you know and he was really sad about it and so was i and i couldn't figure out what he could do um we even have electronic bagpipes now that you can just you know put your headphones on and uh, tune it any way you want and uh you can play it but usually the spacing for your fingers is the same <laughs> you know you might be able to do it on some other kind of electronic thing but i've never heard it sound right so uh that's i'm not teaching it anymore because for one thing the community a collective that i live in has said you can't practice your bagpipes here it's too loud we've got people who are 90 years old and go to bed at 5 p.m and it's you know and i said well all right and i tried for a church down the street which used to work if i was traveling or whatever they never got back to me but luckily a friend of my wife's a block and a half away says we love the pipes. You can come to our house and practice and work on them anytime you want, as long as we're home. 
give us a call, come on over. So I think I had two gigs last year. And so just before those, I would go over there and uh, I just played a, a memorial for a wonderful woman, one of the leading feminists of this last generation who died and wanted a, a ceremony by the Mississippi River. And so I, my pipes weren't working right. And I, it's just if you can't, you know, have everything at your fingertips and all, it's really difficult to do that. But just the day before the the memorial, I got it all working right and went down and everything went splendidly. So I guess that's another high moment. Um, so I don't know. Any other questions? Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, I just like to give everybody that I talk to a chance to kind of put out a message that they want people to hear. Uh, so what's something uh, that you've learned over you know, your decades working with music and learning an instrument that you think other musicians should hear? I, I have to be, I, I agree with this one school of thought, which says, you know what? Perfection ain't in it. Perfection is often the enemy of good. And music can be really good without meeting all of the perfect standards. I listen to jazz a lot of the time. Uh, on KBM, it's a local nonprofit jazz station that plays a wonderful variety of things, including Irish and Scottish folk music on Saturdays and bluegrass. And I can play that too, but not on the bagpipes. Um, and a lot of the time, what jazz musicians do and what folk musicians do is probably technically incorrect. And if they were majoring at the university in music, somebody would, you know, maybe not whack their hands with a ruler anymore, but say, now, no, you just can't do that. And I would say to that, music comes from within. It comes from an appreciation of a cultural context that you need to know. And that's what you have to care about. And the rest of it, you know, if uh, um, what's your name? Cotton was playing the guitar upside down in the wrong hands. So what? Elizabeth Cotton freight train freight train and did it perfectly by my standards even though i'm sure, sure plenty of people would say well that's just not right but uh i think people need to need to hear with their hearts and under that music can be all kinds of things um i, I i'm a i'm a um, sort of a pagan sort of a humanist um, don't belong to any given church at the moment, but, um, just the other day, cause it was, uh, Yom Kippur and, uh, there was a YouTube thing of a rabbi starting to play the shofar, the ram's horn. And it isn't really meant as a musical instrument, but for that occasion there, they make a very soulful use of it. And, um, so it was going, like that okay and he stops and this dog behind him starts going and the rabbi turns around in shock and everybody's laughing and i thought no the dog is working with you here i mean come on <laughs> it was coming from inside you know i used to howl with the wolves up north and loved it and uh, when when animals, if you slow if you slow bird song down, do you know that it sounds like whale song? <laughs>